0: Welcome to Flowing East and West, The Perfectly Imperfect Journey to a Fulfilled Life. I'm Sherry Essig, an executive and life coach, and I work with people who are done settling for less than success and happiness.
1: And I'm Ann Roby, an HR advisor and consultant focused on building strong employee engagement and meaningful company culture. So Sherry, we are recording this in August, and the talk of the summer has been all about the Barbie movie. So tell me, what did you think about this movie? I
0: thought it was awesome. I thought it was this almost magical combination of fun and tripping down memory lane of (laughs) my own collection of Barbies and something that little girls could totally enjoy. And at the same time, it had such a strong cultural message, such a strong feminist message, but also a message of inclusion. And I just think they pulled off what on paper would seem like an almost impossible feat to be fun and serious and all of that.
1: Yeah. It's super interesting because I didn't get the hype. I was like, Isn't Barbie all the ridiculous boobs are too big. The heels are too high. I guess I wasn't paying too much attention. I'm like, why is the whole world so excited other than a gigantic marketing budget about this movie and similar. I mean, I saw it and I actually cried a couple of times in the movie, not because it's sad, although there are some sad parts in it, but I think it's because I really felt seen as a woman. And how sad is it, frankly, that a big Hollywood movie is the thing that really lets me be seen. It's a really interesting phenomena. Yeah, it really, really is. It also made me think
0: a lot about the dichotomies with Barbie that on the one hand, not only is it a completely unrealistic body image, but as it ultimately turned out, she's not even anatomically correct. Like you wouldn't be able to stand upright, right? If you were proportioned (laughs) in that way. So on the one hand, it was a completely unrealistic ideal early on. It was also just representative of white women but ultimately, Barbie could be anybody, and so you could go buy astronaut Bob Barbie and you could buy Dr Barbie, and she became much more culturally diverse and so I found it just super interesting that I guess, like all of us,
1: Barbie is filled with dichotomies. I think the film does such a beautiful job of acknowledging the childhood kind of fantasy of the Barbie dream house and everything is great and everything is pink and you know, everybody gets along and it's all wonderful with the reality of, I'm hoping by this point, most of our listeners have seen it. And if you haven't go see it, but you know, at some point Barbie goes to the real world. So she leaves the bubble of where everything is Barbie centric and Barbie sort of takes front of the stage and is so immediately surprised when she goes to the real world about how she's spoken to, how she's treated, how she is objectified. And it's interesting because I, you know, I played with Barbies when I was a kid too. And I didn't think that much about Ken, right? And that's one of the points of the movie is that Ken kind of gets put in the backseat, literally and figuratively at times, until he comes to the real world. And then he has this, like, you could see like on her face, she looks super confused and on Ken's face, he's like, this is awesome because there's so much going on in the quote real world that just wasn't, Happening to her in Barbie land.
0: Well, and I think the other, I don't know if it's subtle or not, but it's definitely not front and center. But on the return from the real world, it is this recognition that in Barbie land, the Kens and poor Alan are <laughs> sweet, sweet Alan, sweet Alan. Right? <laughs> sweet Alan, that the men are second-class citizens. It's flipping the script a bit that in this world where it's 100% ruled by women and the men are second-class citizens, which, again, not to blow up the end of the movie, but it does give the Barbies pause. And so there's also a message, not just a feminist message, but there's a bit of an
1: equality and representation message
0: in there. Inclusion.
1: I do want to be careful in case people haven't seen it, but I'll just say I think that They did such a beautiful job of acknowledging that inclusion without then letting that inclusion trespass on what Barbie actually wanted. And that's all I'm going to say about it. But I, I really thought there was a nice balance there of, oh, yeah, I see how I might have pushed you to the side a little bit it's a cultural phenomena right now. And while I loved Wonder Woman and I do want to talk about the Wonder Woman movie a little bit too. It's very different in that Barbie didn't have any superpowers. She didn't have anything that set her aside. She was of course gorgeous. And there's this very funny moment when she's having a little crisis. Like, is she not gorgeous? And there's this voice of God comes in and says, come on, we should not have had Margot Robbie doing this. We were (laughs) going (laughs) to suspect anything else, but What's really interesting to me is this childhood doll that in some ways had set up unrealistic expectations. We could argue either side of that coin. I think it's so important right now because there are so many ways that the world is trying to kind of go a little bit backwards and restrict women and restrict women's rights in a lot of ways. And I myself feel like this is a bit of a siren call. And in fact, even if we think about, I'm just going to say it, kind of some of the more far-right reaction to this movie, it is pointing out exactly what one of the points of the whole movie is.
0: Before we move on from talking about the movie... There is this amazing speech that America Ferrera gives, and I think speech is the right word for it. And I just want to read a couple pieces of it because it does talk about the unrealistic expectations on women, even in today's day and age, where... She says, You have to never get old, never be rude, never show off, never be selfish, never fall down, never fail, never show fear, never get out of line. And then she goes on a bit more and says, I'm just so tired of watching myself and every single other woman tie herself into knots so that people will like us.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's why we really wanted to talk about this today as our episode, because there is so much in our current reality in our recent history and our entire history as a species that has imprinted on women how we are supposed to show up and the the ways both direct and indirect that people have been trying to control us forever. And so we're talking about Barbie. We're going to talk about a couple of books we both like. We'll talk about some other things, but really the whole point of this is we're really inviting our listeners, men and women, to kind of wake up a little bit to how this is all around us. And I think, just to go back to that point I already made, that's why that moment when Barbie's rollerblading down the Strand in LA and just has this really visceral reaction of like, what is happening? And Ken's like, yeah, this is cool. That I think that just hit me so hard that it is so all around us on an everyday basis that we are actually asleep to some of it. And so we're going to talk about some history. We're going to talk about some of the ways that you and I have personally been asleep to some of the, the ways women have been held down. And then we're going to invite our listeners in to, to just sort of pay a little bit more attention. So thank you for reading that part of the movie because I think it's, it speaks really to what we want to do with our episode today. So a few moments ago, I, I mentioned Wonder Woman. And in that movie, we're all about the movies today, evidently, there's an entire island of Amazon women and they are not suffering some of the issues that Barbie suffered when she went to the real world but for different reasons the patriarchy doesn't exist they are strong in and of themselves it's almost like with them there was an awareness of what the outside world could be like unlike Barbie where she was so clueless about it until she got there and i find both of these movies super interesting because it presented a world in which women did not have to operate within the confines of some of the speech that America Ferreira gave in the movie.
0: One way to think about it is for both the women in the Wonder Woman world and the Barbies in Barbie world, they really were operating in a world without restrictions on that Exactly. And so much of what we're talking about is explicit restrictions, more in the past, still a lot depending on where you live or what you look like, and in some ways less than there used to be. But this idea of explicit
1: restrictions, we also want to talk a bit about the restrictions we impose on ourselves and how we are party to some of these limitations As long as we're talking movies, I'll bring up another one that I just watched a film about Judy Bloom, not the Are You There, Goddess Me Margaret, but an actual film about Judy Bloom. And I just didn't realize like how groundbreaking her writing really was. I mean, I guess on some level I did, and we all had a sneaky copy of forever and all of that, but how it just wasn't okay to talk about having a period. And then I mean, 50% of the population will experience having a period and 51%. Yet, we, <laughs> yet we just don't talk about it. And are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. I I recently read was banned because it talks about bras. Are you freaking kidding me? And that's not, I mean, you just said things are better, but in some ways, like I am a little worried things are going backwards. I so agree. And Some of it is geographical,
0: some of it is more than geographical, some of it is stuff that's been around forever and has yet to be addressed, and part of why we wanted to do this episode is not just to talk about the ways that we place limits on ourselves, but also to give a bit of a siren call to the importance of paying attention to what is happening all around
1: us and how bit by bit rights are being eaten away. And I mean, as we were thinking about and talking about this episode, I was so struck by your, one of your first jobs, one of your early jobs at Sears. And I'd love for you to share that story because it's interesting to me because it's the opposite. And yet it is such recent history. It, it's a little crazy making,
0: but can you share that story? Absolutely. One of my jobs when I was in college is I got hired as Christmas help at Sears in the credit department. And it was shortly after the Equal Credit Opportunity Act had been signed into law and women could get their own credit cards. They did not have to have their husband sign the application. What I'm
1: hearing is, this: previous to this, which was in the mid-70s, women could not get a credit card without a male cosigner. basically.
0: I don't recall if your husband had to sign or could demand to sign, and single women could be discriminated against. So what the Equal Credit Opportunity Act did was you cannot discriminate against a woman in the realm of credit. So what did that do for the actual female customers at Sears? This is part of what is so amazing to me in terms of what an impact it had on me. I was young, like I was a teenager, and... I was so struck by these women who would come in, and I got hired like six weeks after this passed, and these women would come in and would say, so I can just sign this myself. My husband doesn't have to sign this, right? And I'd say, right. And I didn't really understand what a big deal it was, but I still remember it. Like, it was yesterday I don't want to say we were flooded by these women coming up to the counter because I hadn't worked there very long, so I don't know what it was like before. But I also remember the women who worked in the credit department and how ecstatic they were. And so all these years later, I can still picture some of those women's faces.
1: This is amazing to me that simply because of my gender, It had nothing to do with my income, although income was also restricted. We'll talk a little bit about that. It had nothing to do with my ability to pay the card. It was simply because I was a woman. I was not allowed to get a credit card. And that is crazy.
0: I think the same applied to a mortgage. I think it was any kind of credit. And so think about the impact also on your freedom, on your ability to make choices
1: about your own life when you are restricted in the financial realm. And then we extend this to things like women's control over their own bodies for the pill, for abortion rights. And all of those things are being challenged now as well. And to me, it comes back to that desire to control women. If I cannot be in charge of my financial health or my physical health, then I have to be reliant on somebody else, aka a man, in order to provide for me. You know, if we go back to more ancient history... Women were completely dependent on men because they weren't allowed to work. It wasn't even like in the realm of possibility. I just finished an interesting book called The Mermaid and Mrs. Hancock. And throughout that book, it talks about how your choices were, you marry yourself off so you could be taken care of, or in the words of the book, you became a whore. And when our bodies and our financial freedom are restricted, When we're talking about big things here, it somewhat reminds me of The Handmaid's Tale and how it started kind of small. If you remember, one of the very first things, like I didn't think it was that big of a deal. My husband had to sign off on my bank account, no big deal, and how Handmaid's Tale then grew into a much bigger restriction of women and their rights. And so we're talking about some of these really, really big issues, but it happens all the time in small ways and in insidious ways that aren't so obvious as I don't have control over my body or my checkbook. Even in work today, how I have had many conversations with senior leaders where they make assumptions, men and women. So the assumption about women could sometimes go something like, well, you know, she has a young child, so she probably can't travel. So she probably isn't the right person to promote into this job because she can't travel as much as we're going to need her. Now, did we ask the woman? Did we offer it to the woman? No. Like there's these assumptions that are made. We swim in these waters. It's sort of like the lobster in the boiling water. We swim in these waters to such a degree that we don't even recognize it at times when it's happening.
0: It's so imprinted on us. Even as little, tiny beings, girls should be nice and girls dress this way, or boys do this, or boys don't do that. Boys are rewarded for winning, girls are rewarded for playing nice. Or girls are comforted when they cry, and boys are told to stop crying. And again, these are obviously generalizations, and I'm sure there's a million examples to the contrary, but in some ways, these expectations are still with us. I'm flashing on a conversation I had with a client just a couple of weeks ago who, just in the course of a bigger conversation, commented that she had gotten some feedback that she was too strident
1: in the way that she spoke. I wish I had pulled some studies for this call, but there have been study after study after study of performance reviews that are completely different based on gender lines. And it sounds like this is what happened to one of your clients. The studies that you're talking about this is exactly what happened to her. She
0: got feedback that I'm willing to put some pretty big money on that there is not a man in her company who has been told he's
1: too strident. And it happens all the time. There's this double standard in the way that people are evaluated, in the feedback that they get, In her case, I am sure her manager thought they were doing her a favor by sharing this feedback with her. And indeed, in the terms of the culture, maybe they were in some ways, the culture of the company. But the fact is, is like, this is now going to hold her back. And the men in the company, they're not held to that same kind of standard. Because again, just like what you just said about little boys, like we reward them for winning and being tough and all of those things.
0: We could talk about so many different issues that all of this creates. But one of the issues is that there ends up being so much lost potential.
1: Yeah. In that people just never even get an opportunity to step up to the plate. They never get an opportunity because they're held back in so many ways. It kind of reminds me of that book that you turned me on to, The Woman Who Would Not Be Silenced. That was just an incredible book. The very short synopsis
0: of it is it takes place in 1860. This woman is married. She has, I believe it's six children. Her husband is a minister and she starts to do her own exploration and she decides she's much more aligned with another church, another denomination ultimately her husband cannot stand her intellect and her independence and her unwillingness to stifle her own thoughts and her impertinence and so he has her committed to an insane asylum and she had zero rights i mean it's an extraordinary story it's a true story and she was a very very prolific writer yeah a lot of the book draws on her own notes but ultimately she does free herself and she's such a good example of how much potential would have been lost had she not been able to secure her own freedom because she went on to have laws changed in multiple states around divorce and around women being able to keep their own earnings and issues around custody of your children. This was a woman who improve the lives of thousands and thousands and thousands, and probably more than that of women, and all that potential would have been lost.
1: Well, and none of us would know her name except for for this book. And it's not even like a wildly popular book. You kind of turned me onto it and then I couldn't put it down because I was like, oh my God, is this actually true? It's a really good example going back to what we were talking about a few moments ago of there was a time in history when women's lives were so precarious that simply for believing in a different spiritual practice than your husband in the case of this person, you could be incarcerated for that. Unbelievable. It it somewhat makes me think, you know, if we fast forward a little bit, one of the very first episodes of Mad Men, great show, but the main character's wife goes to therapy. This is probably set in the late fifties, early sixties at this point. And the therapist calls the husband and relates the entire conversation to him after she leaves his office. It is unfathomable to me. And yet, you know, in so many ways, we've taken so many steps forward and we're starting to take some steps backwards. Unfortunately, the other great book that you referred to me this year was come fly the world. And What was interesting about that is it was the story of Pan Am switching from male stewards in the cabins of airplanes to female stewardesses. Being a flight attendant these days is a kind of a fun, cool job, but nobody would say it's exactly like what your graduate student with French studies would necessarily go out and seek. And yet, those were exactly the women that Pan Am went after. And it created amazing opportunities for women. If I recall, there's even a scene which sort of flashes to your earlier point about the credit card in the, these gals would like have their layover wherever, and they kind of needed a date. Somebody had a credit card to pay for dinner because it couldn't be them. And yet it was the beginning of creating lots of opportunity for women to have independent income and to travel and see the world in a lot of ways. Well, and what's interesting
0: about the timeframe in which that is set is these were all highly educated women. You had to have a college degree, and I forget what percentage of them had a graduate degree. And these were super adventurous women who had no other outlet. They could have been a secretary. They could have been a nurse. They could have been a teacher, none of which was going to let them see the world and embark on adventure. and make the kind of money that they made. So it's interesting in that that was the only
1: path
0: for a lot of these women to actually realize their potential. And
1: so on the one hand, awesome. And on the other hand, I mean, you just rattled off a few professions, all of which are amazing professions. And we could count on one hand what the professions were actually open to women. Indeed, my mom's own father would only pay for college if she chose to be a teacher or a nurse. He would not pay for college if she pursued being a lawyer, which was her first choice. (laughs) And my mother was a teacher. Again, great. That's an amazing profession. Our point is more that when you're professions are limited to those that you can count on one hand, it goes exactly back to this financial control, bodily control, all of it that is a way to keep women down. And so I wonder what are the ways that you and I have actually maybe been limited in some ways? I mean, I know that we've talked about identifying some of those as we were prepping, but I'll, be the first to admit sometimes, just like I said earlier, we're swimming in this pool so much we don't even realize it. So have you thought of some ways that maybe you have been limited due to some patriarchy issues? One of the things I've been thinking about today is how
0: over time I have stopped shrugging things off or started calling things out in a way that certainly earlier in my life, it would have been, I don't know that this is worth rocking the boat. Oh, I don't know. It's not that big a deal. Oh, it wasn't that bad. All of, of those. And I think about a few experiences I had, especially earlier in my career, where I felt something really unfair had happened. And felt like I had absolutely no recourse. Because you're a woman, you mean? Yeah. I think if I could go back in time as the person I am now, I wouldn't see it as no recourse. Meaning that you feel like you have more of a voice now? I feel like I have more of a voice. And again, you can't really go back in time as the person you are today. But I would be going back with more of a voice, with a lot more courage, and a lot less... I want to say a lot less fear because I don't know that that's true, but more of a sense of, okay, what's the worst that can happen? I could get fired and you know what? I'll find another job. And yet I think about being more mid-career. This did not happen to me, but right off the top of my head, I am thinking about two women I worked with, more mid-career both of whom had some very egregious things happen on the sexual harassment front who had really strong cases. And both of them zipped it up because they were afraid of getting blackballed and not being able to get jobs.
1: You have talked yourself about some super inappropriate things that were said to you. And this is what I mean about we swim in the pool. At the time, I think you did have the cojones just to tell the guy to zip it or whatever, if I remember the story correctly. But the fact that the environment made it okay, that people thought that they could speak to you in this way.
0: Well, it wasn't just the environment that made it okay. I went to the person who ran Personnel. It was called Personnel at the time. And what she said to me was, oh, that's just Jim being Jim. Oh, just deal
1: God. with it. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. So what we really want to do is <laughs> invite our listeners to think about the ways that they are limiting themselves. And so I'll share a quick story as well. It's kind of similar to yours and that Early on, I really got a lot of feedback, maybe similar to your client you were just talking about, that I was a little too direct. I was a little too tough on people. I was strong. I remember one... Manager said to me, Man, you're not afraid to say anything to anybody. And I thought to myself, Should I be? But this was the kind of feedback that I was getting. And so I tempered. I mean, nobody would accuse me of being very overly solicitous, but I definitely changed the way I engaged with people. And I did it in a much softer way. Even sometimes in the language that I use, I remember I was working with a headhunter. There were interviewing me for a job. And I kept using the term we, well, we did this and we did that. And she had to stop me and say, I want to know what you did. And I said, well, I, I did those things. And she said, but you keep saying we, because that was a learned behavior, not to take too much credit, not to seek too much of the spotlight. And so I think I had been socialized to be more we instead of me, which probably limited me in some ways. So again,
0: as you just said, our call to action is really to pay attention to how you limit yourself. And we can frame that as how you're adapting your behavior or how you're playing small how you're limiting yourself in some way. But I think there's also a call here to also be an ally and call things out when you see it happening to other people. And that's for men to be an ally to women, but also for our male listeners to also look at how you might be limiting yourself in your own gender roles.
1: No, I think this is really important. We've talked a lot about societal stuff and listen, our cute little podcast isn't going to solve all of societal issues, but what we can do each of us individually, exactly to your point, Jerry, is to think about the ways that we limit ourselves and to try to raise our awareness about how we shut ourselves down before we even try or don't step up to the plate or pay attention if it's happening to somebody else. Because sometimes Again, to your point, it's easier to advocate for somebody else than to advocate for yourself. And so we just invite you to pay attention, to not limit yourself, to think about, are there ways that I have taken a back seat when I'm ready to take the front seat? And I think that is
0: a really perfect place to wrap up the episode for today. We really hope that you have all enjoyed it and would love it if you would share our podcast with a friend, give us a rating on iTunes, or post it to your own social media. You can find information in previous episodes at flowingeastandwest.com. Until then, please join us next time for Flowing East and West, the perfectly imperfect journey to a fulfilled life.